I have a wristband that I wear every day, and it says WWJD. What would Jason do? Oh, okay, gotcha, and that's man. how I live. Don't compare right? me to Jesus. Uh, no, it's I'm Jason. I have a different one that says the other J on it. <laughs> so, Jason, we're here in Tulsa with the Tulsa King, but he's brought someone with him. Who's that? We have the court jester of Tulsa manufacturing. <laughs> so happy to be here, teammates. <laughs> yeah, let's do it. <laughs> Welcome to Making Chips. As manufacturing leaders, we go through seasons, seasons of struggle and seasons of celebration. But if you are connected to a community of leaders, you will be equipped to make the most of the peaks and you'll be inspired to move quickly through the valleys. What you will hear is not just our opinion. It is the battle-tested testimonial and advice of a manufacturing leader just like you. So listen up and take notes. Welcome to Making Chips Seasons. Welcome to Making Chips. As manufacturing leaders, we go through seasons, seasons of struggle and seasons of celebration. But if you are connected to a community of leaders, you'll be equipped to make the most of the peaks and you'll be inspired to move quickly through the valleys. What you will hear is not just our opinion. It is the battle-tested testimonial and advice of a manufacturing leader just like you. So listen up and take notes. Welcome to Making Chip Seasons. Yeah, man. Here we are. I got to say, Jason, the way you say that, I mean, by the end of it, I'm ready to rip my shirt off and start running. Yeah, freedom. Steve already has his pants off. Yeah, I have to. I have to. We're winning together, making chips without pants on. Well, I feel like Steve... You should just introduce you now. Yeah, so. <laughs> Mike, can you introduce Steve? Mike is co-hosting this episode, but this is not fair. I don't think. He's just chomping at the bit. Yeah, yeah. I think we can probably all just throw away the script here. So very, We're having too good of a time. Right. Yeah. Very glad today to have my good friend Steve. Steve spent almost 30 years in global aerospace manufacturing Absolutely. company and about a year ago branched off and bought a very well-established local shop that... We've historically competed and still do, but in a very friendly way. Friendly relationship, partnership, kind of the same industry, but find a way to win together. Yep. Yep. Steve. Take it away. It's all yours. Well, he is not only the funny man of manufacturing, he is the president and CEO of Auto Turn Manufacturing. So welcome to Making Chips, Thank you, teammates. I appreciate that. You know what I didn't realize is whenever I was at this previous manufacturing company, fairly large manufacturing company, to know that like two years later... I would be with some podcast juggernauts. <laughs> I mean, I would have jumped out of a window on a grass landing to be able to be on a show with you guys. So well, thank you for that. All my friends are going to know about that's making very humbling. Chips. Absolutely. Very humbling. Why would it not be, teammate? Are you tired of putting out fires? Is the coolant starting to go bad? Are your cutting tools edgy or is that just how you're feeling? Chances are we've been there too. So we have to ask, what's the chip on your shoulder? One of the things we do is we like to talk about some news or what's bothering people. So what's the chip on your shoulder right now? 
Yeah, what's bothering you, buddy? Gentlemen, I do have a chip on my shoulder. It's on the geometric top of my shoulder, maybe just below my scapula. It's unsolvable, but I want to put it on the table and we can vet it if we want to. Okay, so, let's hear it. Let's hear it. You know, it's funny, Steve, because I've always been known as the funny one of making chips, but I think you're going no. to exceed that. No, you have not. I think, is there a rebuttal <laughs> on that claim? He's always been self-proclaimed okay. the funny That's guy. where it I starts. No, yeah. but I'm handing that title over to Steve. Yeah. It oh, all starts oh, with a vision. Yeah. Wow, the humility. Yeah, it starts with a right. vision. Yeah. The other thing he's known for is he just radiates humility. <laughs> Absolutely. You can just tell. Hey, happy Tuesday. I'm better than everybody else. What do you have to say? But in my humility, I'm handing over the title to Steve. Well, you know what That's Steve was radiating yesterday to get back onto it? Something was had you all fired up. You had a chip on your shoulder. It had to do with uh, people trying to take your employees. Yeah, the best way I could describe this, guys, is with a manufacturing company the size of what I have and what Mike have is we can't go get the LeBron James of machining. We would love to or the Mike Trout of machining. We have to holistically Michael develop. Jordan. Or the Michael Jordan. Hey, pay homage to our Chicago guys That's here. That's right. Thank the you. The GOAT. Go. Absolutely. You. LeBron James is number two, though, probably. Yeah. Right? Okay. Distant two. Oh, Kobe. Kobe. Sorry, Kobe. I mean, I think, but go yeah, ahead. Yeah, I hear you. So we have to build our own. We have to go get that two or three-star talent and turn them into an all-star. And that takes time. It takes going through several iterations of who's out there that's looking to maybe become a machinist that's in a different career and develop them. And we succeed a lot of the times. A lot of what our staff consists of are people that we have developed from no skill set. Now, unfortunately, when we finally get them to a viable skill set that can make us profitable and keep them safe... We have the bigger companies that simply pluck them to where we're effectively the minor leagues of career development. And it's not a bad thing. It kudos to whoever that can better themselves. One thing that's tough to describe to these teammates is you might be going to what's perceived as bigger and better, but also if there's a downturn in the industry, you're going to be the first person that might be looking elsewhere. So that's just a constant battle that we have when we're these small but growing companies trying to keep that elite talent once we create it, once we cultivate it. Well, I know one of the things that we always talk about making chips is that the strong cultures are going to win. And I think, Steve, you're a testament to create a culture like that. Because I remember going into your shop the first time I met you and you're like, you're connecting with, you're like, hey, how you doing? You are very interpersonal with your team. You know them, you love them, you want to get to know them. And I think that that's really what's going to take you to the next level. And I think that's what's going to keep them away from those bigger companies. When I appreciate that. I call that whole mindset and culture you described. And you tell jokes. I call that the zingers quotient. <laughs> I have a wristband. That I wear every day and it says, WWJD, what would Jason do? Oh, okay, And that's how I live. Don't You're compare I, me to Jesus. Uh, no, it's uh, Jason. I have a different one that says the other J on it. But yeah, it's... One's in cursive, right? It's sans serif, 12 font, and it works out great. <laughs> you know what? I forgot to hit record. No, you didn't. <laughs> oh, we could do it again if we had to, man. That story will be different. Exactly, we're good. We're good. Be. Keep going. It will be. But to that point, the example of the culture, which is important to have that winning collaborative culture, I want them to come to work and have it mean something because we can't pay the most. We don't have the same cachet as some of the large, biggest old companies in the world. But there's one gentleman that came to me that was looking to go. And he said, this is how much they were offering him. And I said, well, I think that's great. Best of luck. I understand why. He goes, you know what? But I want to stay because I want to see what's next. And I think that's one example. It won't happen all the time. That's awesome. But yeah. it did mean a lot to know yeah. that they're willing no, to stay and be part of a good culture. And a lot of what we're going to talk about today, Mike's going to start interviewing you on mm -hmm. your whole transition here. Which we're all looking forward to having. Yeah. That. Oh, because I mean, yeah, what I'm do you call him? Definitely. Dr. Oh, Payne? he's Dr. Mike Payne, PhD in problem solving. He's a juggernaut of communication. <laughs> there you go. Absolutely. Juggernaut is going to be my new favorite word. It has to be. We're going to talk about how you went from the big company and then you actually went 
Absolutely. Right. So, yep. So go ahead. Yeah. So you had 700 employees that you were managing. The company I came from, it's not like an enormous company. It's privately owned, but it's a large privately owned company, about 2,300 employees worldwide. That's pretty big. I ran their biggest division of about 700 people. Yeah. And I started there in 1994. I was going to school to get my engineering degree. We had an adjunct professor that worked at this company and he invited me to come along and be an engineer. And I just eventually evolved my way through engineering, engineering management, program management. I was able to run a division in 2017. It was an aerospace company, right? It was. That's right. Yeah. So what was the division? Let me ask that. Like, Was it based on a certain part that they made? Yeah. So if you think about the aerospace industry, the best way to delineate it is you've got the military side, you have the commercial side, and you have the business jet or corporate side. And the division that I ran, we specialized in interior and fairing components for corporate jets. We did some other military and commercial stuff. For the most part, we focused on the interior corporate side. Okay. So Steve, we know you've had a great career. Thank you. You've bought a great shop, doing very well with it in your first 12 months, right? Yeah. I feel good about it for sure. Yeah. So my background of over a hundred deals, acquisitions, mergers, investments, I've always had a pretty strong feeling of you're either a, a small company entrepreneur type guy, or you're a big company, need the structure. I would say out of 120 deals, I've only seen two or three successful in that transition either way, right? Small person goes to a big company, person goes to a small company. You're saying it's just such a mindset shift that it's hard to make that transition. I have a Entrepreneurs, they get their hands dirty, get out there, get it done. Big company, you have lots of resources to what I found is back to kind of EOS, right? You have visionary. I mean, some of the best visionaries I've ever come across come out of great companies and they have large teams to execute versus an integrator can take a vision, maybe developed through collaboration and execute. So watching you from the sidelines over the last year, like I would put you in the category of someone that's made that transition successfully, but it's got to have been hard. You had teams of people that could execute continuous improvement projects and safety training and all those types of things. Even on a previous episode, we talked about even just how important it is to onboard employees and give those types of the HR solutions. You had that. Now you don't, right? You're on your own. So tell us about that transition. One thing that added a lot of value and for the 47 million people that are probably going to listen to this podcast, which kudos to you guys again. <laughs> I like that. For being just like an absolute Make sure the sponsors the hear that. Yeah. The absolutely. 47 million. Wait, yeah. you just went yeah. from calling us juggernauts to vagabonds. Yeah. Juggernauts, a lot of vagabonds, 47 million yeah. in the audience. Big words. Big yeah. words. I, I, like I don't it. think it's you actually, welcome Tuesday. I don't actually think you know the definition of either one of those. Well, juggernaut, <laughs> I kind of do. It looks like a dodecahedron with feet, right? Yeah, it's the X-Man. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah. The He's got a helmet. Looks like an old driving. through walls. Yeah. We've Everyone got it. knows what a juggernaut is. And Vagabond, that's the mascot for, I think, an NBA basketball team. So yeah, I know exactly yeah. what they are, The Vegas Vagabond. The Vegas Everybody Vagabonds. Everybody knows that, yeah. Yeah, it starts with a B, right? Not a V. You got it. <laughs> See? You're welcome, Jason. <laughs> so one good thing, working at a millennia of people watching, which is an incorrect reference to what we're talking about here, it is a really good transition if you're at the right big company and you get the right level of experience. So- I was at this place for 28 years and I got a chance to work a lot of different disciplines. And Mike is exactly right. You get a pretty good group of people that can help you with projects. If you have a nice big development program, you're going to have engineers to work with. You're going to have program managers to work with. You're going to have lean Sigma people to work with, quality people to work with. And if you have an entrepreneurial spirit during the process, you work with them and you own the process anyway. So where I felt like it made sense for me to make the transition is COVID hit the aerospace industry really hard. I went from 
having about 700 people working for me in March of 2020 to about 300 by November of 2020. And the company that I worked with was a great company. When you work somewhere from 19 to 46, you like working there. You love working there. They saw me grow up. They were patient with me. But you start thinking about what your next steps. Part of me always wanted to have my own business, but I felt like if I tried to go too early, their perception would be I don't have the experience. But if I waited too long, the perception might be I don't have enough energy. And perception is reality. Or you're too locked in. You only know how to work for one company. You got it. You got it. And why would they want it? Maybe there's something wrong with this person. They're at a nice company in a leadership position. They're looking to escape, which wasn't the case. But all those are perceptions that you have to counteract. And I had a good relationship with private equity. We had a good conversation about what the next steps would be. And it took about a year, but I made the transition. But is it hard? It was definitely difficult from a pure number standpoint. Like Mike said, if I needed to hire somebody at my previous employer, I would make a phone call. Hey, we need to hire this person. Here's the job description. Here's the nice written resume or job requirement in the system. Let's go get two of these people. And you and would just, show you would just serve that to your yeah. HR function and, and they would just deliver the person. Absolutely. They Jeez, would even man, that sounds awesome. facilitate the interview process. <laughs> Well, welcome to AutoTurn America. Steve, go get you a guy. And you can do it. You can absolutely do it. Do you sometimes it. pretend like you're handing that request yourself just to feel better? Yeah, it's the, hey, Steve, let's make it be third person Thursday. Yeah, Steve, what's up? Well, Steve needs a guy. Steve, go get him. <laughs> go win. That's cool, though. Do you do the conversation just as a Yeah, ritual? we talk through it. I'm in a mirror. Sometimes I find myself being attracted to myself. Like, Steve, you're great looking. Well, if you're so great looking, go get somebody. There you go. Sounds good. And now you've built yourself up. Exactly. And you've challenged that yourself. self-esteem is like, like Jason Zinger level at that point in time. Yeah, right? yeah. And you're like winning. You never actually get the job done because you keep talking to yourself about how good looking you are. <laughs> to that point, that's why my wife suggested I remove all my windows all of our mirrors at the house because I'm late to work. Jason, that sounds like the old making chips. Because I, <laughs> I get caught staring at myself. I mean, that's the challenge. But just like trying to find people, you're doing it. Some other difficulties is just sheer volume of people. You have to make sure if you have a process flow for a product from receipt of PO through the initial development, through the machining operation, through the quality inspection to delivery, do you have the proper resources and skill set to do it? And if you don't, you have to find a way to either do it yourself or to have another talented person do it. Now, conversely, that's what makes this so awesome because you really want to manage your overhead, make sure that you have the right people for the right job, and you definitely don't want to overhire and overallocate, which can be a risk at bigger companies where they have such a volume of people. How effective are some of those people there? Whereas like at a hill or on a turn, if you have overhead people, they're more than likely going to be pretty capable because they have to because they're wearing so many hats. Right, right on. Yeah. So Steve, I spent some time with a large CPA firm, great culture, loved everything about my time there. And what I found as I bought Hill and was developing a culture, I found myself kind of going back to a lot of the things that I got from there. Right. I mean, that's a good question. I like where we're going with this. What are the positives that you were able to take from a big company environment to a small company that's benefited the company, benefited your employees and helped you retain employees, hire employees? Really good question. I tell you what, that is, that's like Nobel Pulitzer, Grammy, MTV award stuff right there. I mean, this is where you're watching like Rihanna. And people hand him an award, like, good work. And this is why we brought Mike in as a host. Yeah, even an unpregnant Rihanna. Here you go. <laughs> oh, no, nah, no, nah, what's my name type stuff. Yeah, big deal. Right, so let's, let's do you remember the question? I do, I do, I do. 
How are you going to edit that? Yeah. You're not. We're not. We're not. You can't. This is a little bit of a preview of what's going to happen at the Boring Bar. <laughs> Good. Oh, I love it. Steve, you are a requirement. Yeah. It's we are going. You have to come <laughs> to the Boring Bar. You're going to be a part of season two as season our new guest Season two, Boogaloo. It's yeah. time, man. We'll get it done. <laughs> I would say that is when I was talking to one of my partners about the skill sets that would make a successful small business owner. And there's a lot of skill sets. We talked about people with financial acumen like Mike, the deals he's made, just understanding how that stuff evolves, how to build your business, how to make proper strategic acquisitions, how to purchase by growth as opposed to just buying things. So for me, it was program management. I remember the first day that I was at AutoTurn and AutoTurn's been around for 39 years. They've got very stable customers. Their main skill set is elite machining that gives them high quality product delivery. And they have some people that have been there a long time that the industry, the local industry really respects and appreciates. So I had a good foundation to grow and get organized. And you're not talking about like CNC programs. No. No. So no, when you no. say program management, I mean, program management like, what do you mean? Right. Managing a customer, like if a customer is going to give you an RFQ, hey, quote this, make sure the quote's accurate. You communicate with them. You get them a quote on time. They give you a PO. Make sure the PO is loaded. Track progress. Make sure that you're giving them updates when they're going to get the parts. If you're going to be late on the part, let them know a week before it's due, not a week after it's due. Yeah. Just that customer interface and making sure that your shop is organized. Wait, wait. So you guys... Here we go. You don't wait for the customer to ask for the part before you tell them what status of it? I feel like we really, really want to still. Right. But I'm no, trying to It's the exact not to same approach we take with our tombstones that we sell through Zengers. I mean, we are never wait, late. hold on. No. <laughs> Didn't I just ask you about something that was a month late? <laughs> the irony here is like right before we hit record, I'm like way I late on something for you. But I feel like you teed me up for that. Yeah, I it was deserve a softball. It. It was well, a softball the whole transparency thing... I'm I'm so inspired to just talk about how we are super late. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Nick. They're the going to repossess my car. Yeah. See? All my apologies to my clients who I'm selling Nick's tombstones to. <laughs> Nick, did you know that ThomasNet has marketing services like SEO and video? You know, I knew they did something with marketing, but I didn't know that. Tell me more. Yeah, you should find more about this. The ThomasNet team includes digital marketers and degreed engineers who understand the complexities of manufacturing. They know the keywords that buyers are searching for, and I know that's important to you. Absolutely, man, because it's so easy to be fake in this industry, and it's really important that people actually know the words that manufacturing leaders use. So visit thomasnet.com today to view their industrial digital marketing services and learn more about the marketing solutions that have helped thousands of manufacturers grow. Awesome, man. I think it speaks to something, not to get us off the other subject, but I mean, I do see in our market, Dave, the there's this transition of ownership of in our industry. Yeah. And coming from different backgrounds, we're able to bring a different level of communication and relationship with the customers that I've found very valuable for Hill over the last five years. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that's where you have people at AutoTurn, they wake up and they want to be successful. And you can tell because there was already a baseline culture to where they take pride in what they do. And that pride was giving good quality products to the customer. But to grow, there's got to be more. There has to be that cumulative and consistent communication and growth with the customer and the suppliers. And that goes with just a really good level of program management discipline, whether it's a Microsoft Excel spreadsheet or a Microsoft project, more involved file, or even just an email. But just giving people goals is very important. Yeah, you know, the supplier like, part jumped out at me because yeah. like a lot of times, I would say the majority of the time we're late. It's like, gosh, Don't it's the material. heat treater or the foundry in the case of the tombstones. Like, what do you want us to do? It's, yeah. And the end customer, they don't care. No, they don't care at all. They it's do not you, care right? about your supply chain. Yeah. And that's where one of the approaches that I learned in my previous career is your vendors have to be your teammates. 
I even did a bad job communicating with my customers more than I did my suppliers until I got bit. And ultimately, the advice I got is, Steve, that's your supply chain. That's your product lifecycle management responsibility. It's not a vendor A, it's you. So the stuff you're telling us, you darn sure better be telling them too. They need to know when these parts are due. Not just a tactical date in an ERP system, but they need to know the why behind it. Because if people know the why behind things, they'll be successful. And that's one of the things that we first did whenever I got to AutoTurn is let's have monthly goals. Let's have quarterly goals. Let's have interpersonal goals. Let's have those efficiency and utilization goals that we just skim over. Let's make it mean something, not for the tactical reasons for monetary benefit, but how it makes us better, how it makes our customers better. Yeah. And people want to know that they're playing a game. Right. We're instinctively wanting to be okay. What's the game we're playing? Give them What's a score the score? Give them yeah, a scoreboard. Exactly. They're going to win. Yeah, we've exactly. talked a lot. The Bears don't ever win, right? But no, at least they but, have a scoreboard. Right. That's a start. Honestly, it's kind of funny you brought that up because I like this new coach. Okay. We have the number one draft because we were the worst team in the NFL, so yeah. that's not good. But this is like a rebuild, okay? So I'm defending the no, Bears here. The Bears rebuild. The third Are you a Cowboys fan? No. No, but okay. listen to this. Isn't that what who Tulsa usually roots for? Well, there's Cowboys fans everywhere. But right, yeah, of course. This is probably, yeah. They're recently Chiefs fans because they're good. Yeah. But this is Cowboy Nation for sure. sure. Yeah. Here's the point. The game isn't like win all your games. It's like take the stats, keep the score, have a metric. And that's what this new coach is all about. Like he's got this way that the team is going to play. They score everything. They go to the drawing board. The best players can always get better. The worst players have a lot of room for improvement. And you hear him talk and he sounds like a lean, continuous improvement guy. Yeah. So I like I'm a fan. Yeah, you're ready. Like I'm a now, fan. Now when they're four and 13 next year, we'll see. But yeah, right, right now. But hell, good or metrics. We use this cap space. We make a couple good moves, and oh, Justin so Fields is legit. Man. So, yeah. Steve, I have a question about your transition from corporate to entrepreneurial small business. So, I assume that you looked at other businesses besides AutoTurn. So, I did. what was it about AutoTurn that this is the company I want to buy? And what was it about some of the other manufacturing companies you looked at that you're like, no? That's not going to happen. Yeah. So whenever I met with private equity, it was a really good business model for someone in my position to where I had no money. So they basically said- That's a thing. Yeah, it's real, right? So they said, Steve, if you can find your own business for us to invest in, we would try to maximize your ownership with as minimal of an investment as possible. Obviously, to buy a business, a significant business, you have to have the ability to raise funds. So whether it's 401k or money you've kept out over the years, RRA, you have to have that foundational income to do that. Your Beanie Baby collection? My Beanie Baby collection, my Garbage Pail Kids from the 90s. All the pogs. He sold all his pogs. Eight by 10 glosses I would sign in high school for my senior picture, all that stuff. Mike bought six of them. I always appreciated that. I don't know what we did with them. Fair enough. Girl Scout cookies. You don't want it all of it. Yeah, fair enough. Thin mints, love them. Yeah. Mark them up and sell them. So what I did, because that's just the engineering geek in me, is I went into Excel and I just started Googling machine manufacturing Tulsa, manufacturing Oklahoma City, manufacturing Oklahoma. And you probably got the king of Tulsa manufacturing first. I did. I did. (laughs) Hill did pop up, but I was quickly told by one of my partners that is a fantastic machine shop that is ran by the king of manufacturing in Tulsa. So Dr. Mike, Dr. Mike Payne, man. So I got a list of 65 companies and I just started researching them, trying to vet them. It's hard to make cold calls in today's world because people, they get offended. They're like, my company's not for sale. I don't know you. So I got 65, then I went to 15, then I went to 10. And there were a couple that actually I felt were a bit more valuable at the time because of size and the customer, a lot better customer blend probably into industry. 
But whenever auto trim was contemplated, one, we had a willing seller. He had ran auto trim really well for 15 years. He was ready to do something else. So having that willing seller is the key. Yeah. A lot of times it comes from an owner that is near retirement. That's right. And they don't have a succession plan and they don't have a, say, a a kid that wants to come into the business. And I make those calls myself. Sure. And I'm always like, hey, I don't know if you're interested in selling, but if you are, I want to talk to you about it. Absolutely. And it kind of breaks down those barriers such that they're not offended by what you're trying to say. I think you're a valuable business and I'm interested. It's kind of like you're asking somebody on a date and you're giving them the option to say no. You have to have them feel flattered and they have to appreciate the conversation to get the next level. Absolutely. And that was the case here is he was near retirement. He didn't really have a viable succession plan. He actually came close to selling during COVID, but actually pretty respectful move. He decided, listen, I can't sell to you because this is what's happening. I'll give you a chance to back out and the individual backed out. Okay. So then whenever you talk about buying a business as a seller that doesn't have the sophistication of a proper valuation of a business like a private equity firm, they're going to value their company with their heart and what they put into it. So his number was high. My partners are in private equity, so they have a very sync and accurate valuation based mm-hmm. on a lot of factors. Right. So our number was not as high. So then you have this willing buyer, willing seller conversation that can take a long time. And it took about a year, but eventually we ended up making the transition. So to answer your question, I wanted to stay in manufacturing because of the skill set that I developed in 28 years. I really wanted oil and gas and heavy equipment because I still feel like in Oklahoma and in this area, when oil and gas is doing well, it's a fantastic industry to be in and it's going to be here for a long time. And some of the best relationships that I gained outside of my job were people in oil and gas. And I really appreciated what they were able to do whenever they had a lot of things to get done in a short amount of time. And that's where I got a machine shop that's focused on oil and gas that has some other opportunities to diversify into some other industries. Do you have other acquisitions that are in your site in the future? Are you going to go more towards the side of, say, like Mike Payne, who's, I'm an M&A guy. I want to acquire more companies to bring into the fold. I was planning on moving to Rockford and kind of get a tombstone company. That's oh, kind of my great. next yeah. step. Yeah, I have I was, one that's definitely not yeah, for sale. I'm going to call it Tombstones for Humanity. It'll be like a Jimmy Carter initiative. To honor him. <laughs> Where you buy one tombstone, you give away another tombstone to it. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> hey, I got a better idea. How about you buy a foundry? Oh, okay. yeah, let's do that. And then faster. you take the tombstone company you were looking at and you just give them really great delivery. But this is a concept, Nick. Deal. He buys a tombstone and you give away a free one to Ken Parent. Yeah. Ah, oh, because, oh, you, you know, well, now hey, you're talking you about the heart Look at us making deals and my structure the deal. Yeah. It's like that shoe company. I forgot what it's called. Tom's. Was it Tom's? Tom's? Thank you. See, done. So, Steve, going into owning your own business, was there a moment where you were like, this is not what I wanted. Like this challenge is keeping me up at night and I did not sign up for this. You know, to be honest, it did. Whenever I was working at the previous company and I was responsible for big programs, I always felt like I was an entrepreneur. I felt like I would grab more responsibility than I had to because I wanted to be successful. And I felt like I always had the ability to communicate with people. And whenever I first started working at AutoTurn with that team, They were so accepting of me. And the reality is, I'm still the worst employee at AutoTurn. But you're the funniest, right? I am. I am. I try to show up reasonably on time within sometime in the morning and say hi to everybody. (laughs) Sometime in the morning. I've always said you can make up with charisma what you lack in skills. 
I have to have a lot of charisma then, gentlemen. That's the key. That's the key. But I did, and I just enjoy winning with a group of people. I love it. Same here. I mean, how did you introduce yourself? He said, hey, what's up, teammates? I did, I think. You'll have to no, ask them. he handed out flyers, and he said, I'm having a stand-up comedy tour. And I said, I'm right here. Yeah. Let's go. Yeah. I said, no, but one question it. I wanted to ask, you are an owner, but you do have this private equity connection. Did you pursue that connection? Did they pursue you? How did that start? Because it required more capital than you personally oh, had at the time. I so. didn't pursue it. I actually went to lunch with a close friend of mine that I had worked with. And he said, Steve, I know you're probably happy in your current situation, your career, but there's this private equity firm. You know, one of the guys, they're looking for presidents and CEOs to run businesses. I mean, I just, I think you'd be a good fit. And so that's what started it. So, so they kind of like initiated that. Absolutely. They swiped yeah. on Tinder. Yeah. They swiped, which is right or left. I have to act like I don't know. So Yeah, that's right. Because you're married. Yeah, yeah. babe, I don't know. Okay. She's going to listen to this for sure. And she knows I don't know. Okay. So, yeah, for sure. You yeah. definitely didn't yeah, know. Not I don't know if it's yeah, right or good. left either. So none of us know which way to swipe. That's the good news. I don't know either. That's the good news. There was some wooing and there was some mutual interest for sure. There's no doubt about it. So I feel like Mike's about to ask a question. But <laughs> I know. He's laughing so damn hard. He can't even I've got another up. question if you don't have one, Mike. <laughs> so... If there's another manufacturing leader who is running a company or running a division of a larger company, and they're like, you know what? I'm at the end of my rope of being an employee of somebody else. Like, I don't know about you, Steve. I feel like you're kind of like me where I couldn't work for somebody. Like, I don't know how anybody can manage you. You know what yeah, I mean? Like, sure. how did they do that from 19 to 46? Let's phone his wife. We should do a call in. We yeah, need to true. bring whoever. She has cracked the code. Your former employer. Like, we need to have him on the show and be like, how did you employ They Steve? did a really good job because the company I was at, they were considered probably a decent size aerospace company. But they fought and I'm kind of joking because obviously yeah. you're a very professional sure, guy. I appreciate But that, we're having teammate. fun here. Yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> they fought way above their weight class. Like we're doing business with Boeing and Airbus yeah. and the big boys, and we don't have the staff to handle it. So you really have to wear a lot of hats anyway. And that gave me probably the entrepreneurial spirit to do this. And to me, if you have the ability and the desire, there's really no disadvantages in doing it, at least trying to do it because the relationships you create, the rewards that you get personally and financially and the ability to grow and just to learn things. It's worth a try. But if you're wanting to do it, to me, you have to have a foundational skill set, whether it's finance, whether it's engineering, whether it's program management, whether it's machining. You have to go into a new organization that you're running with a skill set because they're going to quickly find out if you don't have a skill set. You can be a good leader, and that's an aspect of it, but you need to be really capable in some Yeah, so discipline. just being a great motivational speaker, being super funny. Yeah, being a life coach doesn't get you there. I need to right, figure you out You have to have set. some sort of specialization. We you have a blank me? piece of paper right now. Yeah. We're going to write some stuff Maybe down. when we're done here, you Give can, us you a can couple help weeks. me. Okay. Well, Jason, right, I either. thought you were really funny, right? Well... I don't know if that's my main you skill set. You have a good set. business. Yeah. Jason's got a good business acumen. <laughs> I'm trying to help. Term. He business needs to talk acumen. to himself in the mirror more. That's right. Like that's what do. it comes down to. You know what I like to say my skill set is, honestly? I want to be a manufacturing leader connector. There that's you go. my skill set. You want to be a conduit of success. Thank you. Boom. There you go. Gosh, I, I feel love like, that. Yeah. He I'm going to hire you as my marketing you, team. I'm in. I'm your hype man, dude. I'm your little John. You're a juggernaut, vagamond. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a Bagabond. juggernaut, vagamond. There yeah. you go. And Steve has a call. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to take a call live here. No. That's a very important customer, but he'll listen to this podcast sometime <laughs> too, man. 
It'll be all good. <laughs> we can tell him later that he was yeah. live on making chips. Absolutely. Just via phone call. Yes. All right. Do you have any closing thoughts, Mike? You asked my closing question. I did? Yeah. That's okay. That's I'm okay. barely reading the script, too. I think I've drank too much I whiskey to read the script. I think Jason's specialization so. is just figuring out how to dominate his co-host. Juggernaut. <laughs> See? Juggernaut. <laughs> yeah. Right? Absolutely. <laughs> Let me yes. look at these here real quick. Hold on. <laughs> Honestly, I haven't been reading this much. No, me either. I'm like staring at the screen pretending. See? Like, We've actually covered everything. I mean, what can the Tulsa jester expect for his future, you know? <laughs> yeah. <see>? Learn <laughs> from the PhD of pain? Yeah. That's a good question. Ooh, guys. the PhD of pain. That's well played, my friend. <laughs> That's what Dr. Ouch. I like it. <laughs> Dr. Ouch. <laughs> now, you should ask me what my next steps are. Oh, there you go. It's almost like he should be a host of Making Chips right. in season two. An autonomous host. Yeah. <laughs> right, am I being replaced? Yeah. <laughs> Mike, you're out. Wait a second. I'm an asexual host. I have all of my own reproductive capabilities in my own body. Oh, my goodness. So, Steve, I mean, awesome story. What is the next step? Well, whenever I first got AutoTurn, my thought was I really want to grow AutoTurn. I'm very comfortable with what AutoTurn does. AutoTurn specializes in a certain industry with a certain skill set, certain type of product. And I think we can grow within oil and gas and heavy manufacturing inside AutoTurn, but I would like to diversify into other industries, maybe by acquisition, maybe an aerospace manufacturing facility, focus on machining, maybe some other added values of processing. I don't know if it's finishing or assembly like or assembly. Yeah. yeah. Because yeah, what I've learned and I almost made a mistake before I learned it is you don't want to put a round peg in a square hole. And if auto turn is a lead at something, let's grow within that level of capability. But you can always acquire a different capability in a different industry. And that's something we've been talking about a lot lately too in our family business. And I'm so interested in private equity because our biggest competitors are all private equity. They'll try to talk to me all the time and get through me to my dad so they can figure out if we're for sale, which we never are. But we have this concept of like family equity and what's the right thing for us to buy next. And it's always what's the biggest headache in our supply chain or a different angle of vertical integration where it's like through our distribution. But it's like, I don't know what you're thinking, but for you, maybe it could be something that you wish was a better supplier to you or your vehicle to your end customer. Do you already have something in mind? You got to figure out if it's a problem, would it be a problem if you had it as well, right? So you got to yeah, figure yeah, out, is right. it like a foundry? That's a tough situation everywhere right now. So if yeah. I bought a foundry, I'm not sure if I could make it better other than it's just my own problem. Well, at least right? you have a captive foundry. Exactly. That That's can right. Make at you least better. It's, I'm the customer. Sure. Well, and I can come to that from a different angle in that when I came to Zenger's, we weren't necessarily experts in metalworking. We weren't necessarily CNC experts. And so I saw a void where... If I wanted to grow this company, I knew I needed to specialize in whatever was the growing industry in Chicagoland, and that was CNC. And so I said, okay, we need to acquire a competitor or several competitors in order to get that expertise. And so that's what we did. And not only that, gosh, I just this like burns me to give them so many kudos all at once here, but you also created this podcast man to kind of like make you more of a cnc distributor because that really wasn't the specialization early on yeah that was the notion you're right nick i'm thinking back 15 years ago and i'm like okay chicago is a cnc manufacturing industry and we're 
kind of selling tools to everybody. What can we specialize in in order to grow as fast as we possibly can? And it was that. Yeah, and thank and so God you didn't specialize in, in place. being funny because yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, no exactly. Working, you're saying not fit. a lot of room for growth. <laughs> <laughs> he would have to acquire someone funny. I think yeah. he just did. See, Steve. you're welcome. I, I think there were podcasts did. leading up to this one and podcasts after. Sure, I had to yeah. learn the skill of being funny. Thank <laughs> you. you. Yeah, exactly. But from Steve, Nick, thank See? you for the compliment. I appreciate that. <laughs> yeah. Hey, Jason, what's the first thing you think of when I say the word setups? You're not making chips (laughs) and you're not making money. Yeah, exactly. It's one of the biggest battles that can hold you back as a manufacturer. Absolutely. So enter the Lean Setup Guide from ProShop. Okay, what's that? This guide can help anyone, whether you're a ProShop user or not, but ProShop users have experienced a 50% reduction in setup time because the software builds these lean principles into their process. Yeah, so it's a totally free download. You can go to ProShopERP.com slash 50 and you can get your copy of the Lean Setup Guide. Bam. Have you ever listened to the show, Steve? I've wanted to so bad, but I've just been so busy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, really it's got to be it's the number one podcast I want to listen to. Okay. I just got to take the time to do <laughs> that it. That seems to be the commonality between all of our guests is that you don't listen to chips. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But you I want, want for to some so reason. Bad. Because we're in the room with you. Right. You do not for want to For some reason, 20,000 no. people a month listen to making chips, but none of them are Except our for our guests. <laughs> yeah. But you're adding one a month. All right. 20, I know. Exactly. So this will be a test to see like how popular this phrase is. But have you ever heard the phrase, if you're not making chips, you're not making money. Bam. Bam. Boom. Boom. 